0: Hello and welcome to You don't know Lit. My name is Nick Argiris, and this week, ladies and ladies and germs, uh, I am looking for the best book
1: about books. that we've've mm. we've, we've gone full stack, like we yeah the best book about books, about books, about books.
0: This is going to be a very meta episode. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and of course, to help me. Our two high school English teachers, Ian and Joe.
1: Yeah, and who could be more qualified to talk about books about books? My name's Joe Holshue. I brought a book about books. It's a book about (laughs) writing, but it's also a book about books. It's written by one of the bookiest authors, a guy named Stephen King, uh, past guest of the show, future fan of the show. Uh, It's called On Writing, uh, 1999, 200-ish pages, and it is a memoir of the craft. Nick. You love memoirs. Admit it. Admit it, Nick. Nick
2: don't you
0: dare forget. <laughs> I it. will not admit that on this introduction.
2: <laughs> um good uh good afternoon ladies and gentlemen and various other individuals of mm-hmm. all stars mm-hmm. and stripes. Yeah. My name is Dr. Ian DeYoung and for this week's episode about books about books, I about will be books. talking about myself talking about uh a book by Anthony Horowitz who is a knight unlike Stephen King. It's called Magpie Murders. It's a listener recommendation, and I'm excited to
1: talk about it. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders.
2: Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely enough, every (laughs) author was at some point a racist.
0: Audiobooks don't count, right?
2: All art is quite useless. (laughs) Who who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. laughs.
1: You know, if England ever went to war and they just had to have their knights fight on their behalf, they would not do very well. Like, I, I think they've really lost sight of what it means to be a knight uh, in shining I armor. I
2: disagree. Hmm. Doesn't How many knights does America have? Well, Zero. Well, they would conquer the heck out of us surely because we have nobody. If the rules of engagement were you can only send knights, then America would be like, what? M Knight
1: Shyamalan? That's it.
2: That's our only it's, knight.
1: Okay. All I'm saying is if Anthony Horowitz goes up against SEAL team six, like yeah, Anthony but that's Horowitz.
0: Not, no, but I but think I could take Anthony Hopkins. I don't know. <laughs> I don't buy it. <laughs> Ian Ian can't
2: <laughs> couldn't handle him. No, I would be too <laughs> respectful. I'd be like, Right, Sir Anthony, it's nice to see you. And then he would just stab me in the neck repeatedly with a penknife. Maybe that's
0: their greatest weapon—is is respect? Because he—that's what that would happen with everybody. It's like, oh well, I can't, you know, I can't go after Miss yeah. Dame Judy Dench, and then she'd again stab you in the neck
2: or bludgeon you with a club. This is the thing, Joe. This is the thing. The weight of like the cultural influence of like, oh my gosh, it's an right. it's an actual knight. Americans right. would be
1: so starstruck that right. the Knights would have the upper hand. They'd have the drop on us. It's almost yeah. like we would be like, like shamed or we would be like inadequacy to death. It's like, yeah, wow, well, I can't even be in the same room with this guy. Let alone duel. Complex.
2: Turns out the knighthood is actually a useful tool.
0: Hey, since this episode is about books, you guys got any, got any news about books? I feel like you guys should have book news more often. Like, Oh God, did you hear about this book news story come out? I got to tell you about that, this new news book story. Do you guys have anything like that? Oh, I do. I do.
1: Yes. Wait, did you guys plan this ahead of time?
0: (laughs) How did you? No, I just feel like there's no way you guys don't have little more. I I feel like more frequently there should be little, oh, did you see in the news about this author? They're found dead. Anthony Hopkins stabbed him in the neck, you know, stuff like that.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so my, my book news is pretty big. Um, there is a new thing out there, which you can buy and use, and it'll tell you a story. It's called a book. That's my book news.
0: Oh, I just hate him so
1: much sometimes. Oh, wow. You heard it here first. I... I have real book news. Uh, this is this is a couple weeks old. I, I'm sorry, lit heads. You are surely uh, abreast of this already. But Gary Paulson, uh, author of The Hatchet, among other—probably uh, not The Hatchet—just uh, <laughs> Gary hatchet. Paulson, author of Hatchet, <laughs> among other very, very famous books. Uh, he died a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> the best kind of news. Yeah, big. Gar-
2: what the world lost in an author, you don't know. Like <laughs> gained. Friend of the sh- <laughs> friend of the show. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Great. Gary well, Paul just I guess moving forward, it. my
0: point is Joe, just let us know who's dying. I'm on it. I'll keep a list. <laughs> this can
2: be a weekly in memoriam yes. segment. <laughs> Deaths with Joe. Like, maybe you can get some <laughs> of that, that music that they play at the Oscars. Oh, right. In where memoriam. it's like all the people who have died. Right. And you can just kind of play that gently underneath.
0: It's, I think, exclusively um, people that play the violin. You know,
2: they always yeah. have like the
0: one chair, you know, and the guy mm. comes out and it's like a live performance.
2: Wait, are you confusing this with um, that one speech at the Republican National Convention where Clint Eastwood came out and yelled at a chair?
0: (laughs) Definitely not. (laughs) That
2: is a high point in American history. Sometimes I just like reminding people that though Clint Eastwood is a wonderful actor and a very respectable individual, he also did have a thing where he came out and yelled at a chair.
0: Okay. Well, I'm obviously going to post this to our page. Clint Eastwood
1: yells yells at chair.
0: at chair. Oh, here it is. It's a full speech, eleven mm. minutes What's long. This? What the fuck is this? Yeah, what I, I've never. Clint heard. Eastwood explains and regrets his speech
1: to an empty chair.
0: <laughs> That's the headline. Uh, he regrets from the it Washington after all the Post.
1: Press, but at the time he thought it was a pretty good idea. <laughs> it felt pretty. He was, Yeah, he, loved
0: it. he thought it was poetic. <laughs> he ate that up. Uh, well, welcome lit heads to you don't know lit. Uh,
2: welcome lit heads. Uh, <laughs>
0: Yep. Thank you. Uh, 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 weekly, or strongly as we call podcast. strongly podcast here. Um, there's got to be another podcast that nope. makes that terrible joke, right? No. And it's not a terrible joke. It's the best joke. Every week. That's okay. why we do it every History week. Jokes. Ian double-checked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, where every week we pick a theme and Ian and Joe bring a book. Um, and uh, just to piss them off, we pick a winner. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> Because they really just can't handle it, folks. They just can't handle the winning at all. But I just want you to know, litheads, that uh, it doesn't well, matter at but all. I would like
1: winning doesn't matter. at I all. I would like you guys to know, you guys, Ian and Nick, and you guys, lithead, that every night when I finish recording, I walk up the stairs and I tell my wife that I finished, and she asks if I've won. And when I tell her no, she's disappointed. Like she, she's visibly yeah. disappointed. So oh. I tell her it's random, but she does not believe me. Okay. Nick, can you tell her it's random?
0: Thank you for the thank you for the correction, Joe. Um, I I, I meant to say lit heads, uh, Ian and Joe, and also their wives. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, so we of course do have some rules. Uh, the third one being completely pointless. But uh, rule number one is only unavoidable spoilers, gentlemen. Rule number two, is two. omit um, needless, omit words, needless Joe. words, Joe. Yeah. Those ones would have been nice. And (laughs) rule number three, winning isn't
1: everything. It's the only thing. Vince Lombardi. Nick, congratulations on not having to look that up this week. I think that's uh, 80 80 episodes in. Nick has remembered the quote. And
2: the third rule. Does that make you you feel strong? (laughs) (laughs) And of course, we have our shadow rules, which make me feel strong. And folks, they should make you feel strong, too. Mm Mm-hmm. You can say them with me. Whisper them secretly into the darkness of your pillow if you desire. I'll say it with you. One for sorrow. For sorrow. Two, for joy, two for joy. Three for a three girl. for a girl. Four, four. four for four for a boy. For what? Five boy. for silver. Seven. Six for gold. Four for gold.
1: Seven for seven for
2: a secret. For Never to be told.
1: Never to be told. Nick, if you could do that up in post, I think you could make that sound like you are speaking totally in sync. It's going to sound real tight <laughs> in post. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, that's what we do here.
0: <laughs> Highly produced audio. Yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> he, famous for it.
0: Mr. Holshoe can you please take 30 seconds and just tell me a little bit more about your book? Oh, Nick, And I'll I decide kinda, who goes first.
1: I kind of liked it when you called me Mr. Holshoe just then. Uh, part Fantastic. memoir, part masterclass by one of the best-selling authors of all time. This volume is as revealing and practical view of the writer's craft comprising basic tools of the trade every writer must have stephen king is grounded in his vivid memories from childhood through his emergence as a writer from his struggling early career to his widely reported near fatal accident and how like the two are linked so it's a good book stephen king on writing he got hit by a van halfway through writing this book and almost died
2: it just sounds kind of boring. You well, said like practical guide to writing. It just sounds
1: like a <laughs> yeah. Huge I should, drag. I should have jazzed it acting? up. I should have jazzed it up. It's not a practical guide to writing. It's an amazing tome <laughs> to writing. <laughs> Yeah, that would have been much better. Do we have inspiration from it? No, it's it's practical. It is not inspirational. It no. is practical. Not inspirational. No. You will D- be de- you will not be inspired. Lit heads if you were here for inspiration, look elsewhere. Watch Ted Lasso. It's inspiring. Joseph I'm sorry, Mr. Holshue. Mm-hmm. I recently um
0: I recently purchased this does intrigue me. I rec- recently purchased uh, kind of a, an iconic practical book as well about writing mm. this particular one is about screenwriting mm-hmm. so how things work in film but it's called screenplay by si- uh sid field okay. Have you heard about this by no? sid field yeah s-y-d no. never field as in uh
1: you know where you would play like basketball or something right right the sid field <laughs> now, I, i've never heard of this next so but you're you're interested in this like you're like i wanna how do you write yeah how, how, Can it somebody wasn't... tell me how to write please please help me step one
0: you're my only help uh and it wasn't on audible which was incredibly disappointing so i do have a book in it's like it came to me they printed it out and sent it to me
1: you know i i have a solution for this uh stephen king not to get too far ahead but stephen king when his children were young when a book wasn't available on audiobook he would pay them to record it for him (laughs) so he'd be like hey joe king my my son I really want to hear this Dean Kuntz book, but it's not available on audiobook. I will give you eight dollars to read this into mm. a Sony Walkman or into a tape recorder. Interesting. And Joe King would do it, and not only would he get paid eight dollars, he would get kind of tricked by his dad into reading a good book. <laughs> so Nick, uh, what I'm, I'm saying is, y- your daughter, you have a daughter, you have eight dollars. I don't see the problem here. <laughs> it sounds like this could be an audiobook.
2: I would pay yeah. more than eight dollars to hear an audiobook <laughs> read by CC. <CeCe. laughs> please.
1: Now it's your turn.
2: Listen. Listen, prices are up, wages have stagnated, and President Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. has still to send us yet another stimmy. So I wouldn't be surprised if you guys were cutting whodunits out of your monthly budget. Good news, though. This week, I brought an economy-sized book. Two for the price of one, a novel within a novel, a murder mystery which helps solve a different murder mystery, a reader recommendation, Magpie Murders by David Horowitz. David Horowitz recommended it? No. This is Alicia Blake recommended this. Gotcha. Gotcha. David gotcha. Hurwitz wrote it. He's a knight. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, we've established this. <laughs> can we move fast? <laughs> I just want to emphasize don't. he could cross the channel and humiliate in us the neck. to death.
1: Is Alicia Blake a knight? Can we can we establish that? I mean, probably. can we say know. definitively? Is I feel she like a these
2: days you can just go online and get anything. So like you can you can get ordained as a as a minister online. Mm. So probably you can get a knighthood online somewhere. That's how Ian got his doctorate.
1: <laughs> that's how we're all going to get our doctorates.
2: Ian, <laughs> yours is about fiction, correct? It's about fiction? Mine is. Mine is both about fiction and it is fiction. Yes. Lovely. Let's begin.
1: With, with, with specifically yeah, with, Ian. Yeah, with Ian. With, with Ian. With Ian, with Ian yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, congratulations, Ian. Ian.
2: Uh, thank you, Joe. Uh, you know what they say? Fear is the mind killer and going first is the little win, is the first little win. Yeah. Um, that's what they say. Uh, I need to say, first of all, before I forget, cause I sometimes forget this and I don't want to forget this. Um, thanks to Alicia Blake for this recommendation. Uh, Alicia has, has recommended a couple of books and, um, I'm currently working through her recommendation of the goldfinch, which is a large book and it's taking me a little bit longer, but um, <laughs> keep sending them really this large is a good books book. And so minutes. is the goldfinch. So Alicia, keep them coming. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Alicia, if you could recommend shorter books though, we would really appreciate <laughs> it. It would really save a lot of time. No, this week. was,
2: this is actually kind of a breeze to get through. Um, the rest of you, Get get on Alicia's level. Recommend those books. Um, Alicia says this about the book, and I, and I want to start with her words because she, she sums it up really well. She says, this is a cleverly constructed mystery within a mystery. It's a literary whodunit and should appeal to fans of Agatha Christie, Ellery Queen, etc. And then she says something really interesting. I originally felt the book within the book went on too long... But I realized after continuing that this was necessary for the story as a whole. I was very impressed by the layered plot and nuanced characters, and I am full of admiration for Anthony Horowitz's plotting of the novel. It is a twisty, intelligent who done it, and it, is, it was a very enjoyable read. So, this is a really interesting thing, which, when I looked at some of the reviews of this, there is, like, this is the big, the big deal with this book. There is a book within this book. There are two mysteries for the price of one. And some people were like, "I hated the book within a book," and other people were like, "I thought it was incredible and absolutely essential, so this is really kind of different from a lot of the stuff we've looked at so far,
0: yeah, you don't typically get bogos in uh books no yeah, yeah,
1: no Correct. books are times are tough, right? like yeah. you pay full price for books, yeah, mm-hmm. well, like I said
2: in my in my my intro, um we just nobody has money for who done it's anymore." Uh, but here, you know, you buy one, you get two. So you just can stretch this over two months. Right. And intro is
0: short for introduction. It's just a way to kind of save time so you don't spend a lot of time mm-hmm. using um, like more letters. And it's just kind of yeah. it condenses yeah. things. So you kind of right. get so to where you need to go a lot quicker. And
2: Intro is yeah. budget economy as well. Yeah, um, it's It's five letters instead of however many, like 18 letters that are in the word introduction. Right, right. That saves time. Yeah. I love it. Saving time is so important. Um, mm-hmm. I just have one thing to say about the author, um, Anthony Horowitz. I called him David Horowitz in the beginning, but that was wrong. His, an- his name is Anthony. Oops. Um, Anthony Horowitz is actually a pretty accomplished author. Um, he's, he's done some, he's.
1: <laughs> so if you could show him somebody. <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: exactly. Oops. I get wrong, his name wrong right. person
2: completely. Okay. Um, yeah, he's, he's, um he's done some good stuff he he wrote a bunch of like children's novels and young young adult novels and then at a certain point he kind of became uh entrenched enough in mystery and thriller type novels that um the Sherlock Holmes estate or whoever is in charge of like Sherlock Holmes stuff reached out to him and said, Hey, can you write some Sherlock Holmes novels? And he also was approached by the James Bond estate and he's written written, written he's written a couple of James Bond novels, which is pretty cool <laughs> except for the reason I bring this up is that the first one that he wrote is called,
1: are you guys ready for this?
0: Not really. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm, I have my pencil. It's called trigger mortis. Interesting. Oh, that's. I think that's good. No, are you, it's are not. you about it's to? Bad. No,
0: it's really. It so sounds stupid. bad at first, and then the more you think about it, the, though, it's still bad. Yeah, it's just right. Mm. It's atrocious. I don't but, know. I'm writing it down, guys. But that's okay. Maybe, maybe he didn't come up with the name Trigamortis. Yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping this wasn't huh. his.
2: His the next the next Bond book he wrote was very kind of it was a classic Bond's title, uh, "Forever in a Day," which means nothing. So. I, on the one hand, yes, he's accomplished. He's a knight, but also on the other hand, Trigger Mortis. So
1: I feel like Trigger Mortis would be a cool like rapper name, right? Like like uh. Trigger Trigger Mortis. Yeah, now I like it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see? Oh, it's bad though. It's, it's well, dreadful. Have you read the book?
0: What about Flo Float no? Rider. Maybe maybe. It- <laughs> <laughs> this is this is a segment. where <laughs> <This laughs> it's good. Now it's good again. Now it's really rapper good. names that already <laughs> exist. <laughs>
2: So um this book this is a little bit confusing to talk about. So I'm going to I'm going to kind of explain the structure for you guys so you can track with me. We'll do our um, best. Because this book does have like this nested sort of structure of book within book. Um we begin with Susan. Susan is an editor for a publishing house and her publishing house Cloverleaf Books has um this this very popular very successful mystery novelist um who who has worked with them. He's, he's written nine books, published well, published eight books with him. This is the ninth. So she's sitting down to read his latest, his latest novel in this in this series of of um, mystery novels. Um, and so she sits down. She narrates, kind of like, okay, I got got all my my coziness. I was sitting down to read this book so I could edit it, like I do. And then we get the book. So she doesn't just say like. I read the book and it was cool. And uh, here are some summaries of it. No, we get the whole book. Hmm. We get most of this mystery novel, which is interesting, which is kind of a, it's a, it's a bit of a surprising cause it feels like it feels like something called a frame narrative where you've got like a little bit at the beginning and then the bulk of the story. And then you've got a little bit at the end that says kind of zooms you back out and yeah. get, it's like, it's like, um, it's like Rod Serling on twilight zone. Um, yeah, at the beginning yeah. of Twilight Zone, Rod Serling is there and he's like smoking and stuff and he's like super spooky. And then we get the story. That's an example of a frame narrative. This feels like it's going to be a frame narrative where Susan is like, and that's the end of the book. And I published it and it was great. The end. Um, but she does some little bits of foreshadowing early on that suggests that maybe, well, this is going to ruin her life. Reading this book is going to ruin her life. So of course you're hooked. You read mm. the book. The book is good. The book is a good mystery novel. But we don't get the whole book. The book cuts off six-sevenths of the way through. There are like seven sections. Six-sevenths. I know. There's seven sections. And we go sections one through six. And then there's this dramatic cliffhanger. And you turn the page. And it's like. Back to Susan. And Susan's like, but there were no more chapters. What happened to the rest of the chapters? So now you're hooked. Now you're like, oh yeah, okay. You got to find out how it ends. I mean, it- I want to know, yeah, what, what happened to these missing chapters and what happened? And, like, and she said early on, uh, this book ruined my life or changed my life forever. And oh, no. what, it hasn't changed a life. She's still sitting there as far as we know. It's like, what's up? And show, so the next section is the discovery. And the whole thing is way more grotesque and scary and murderous than she expected and her life is changed by this i've never really heard of a book
0: like that before is that you mentioned frame narrative is that is there a term for this type of narrative where it is like a story within a story
1: well, this is like, this is like a classic thing. Like Shakespeare did this all the time, right? Like, isn't there like plays within a play in yeah. a play and like Midsummer Night's Dream or Twelfth yeah. Night or I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yes, there
2: are. This does happen, but often. Yeah. So, so Nick, to answer your question, I think just say as yes, a, Ian. as a literary device, <laughs> as a literary device, I think. I don't know of a specific term for when you've got a whole book with like a whole novel within a whole. Yeah, another. yeah. There's probably a, a mm-hmm. word for that, but it's not super, super common because more often what yeah. you have is um, like excerpts
1: or yeah, little snippets bits of it. Yeah, so right.
2: So, not like fully realized
1: stuff. Well, well, like in like epistolary novels that Ian loves to bring yeah, or like we you talked about. Do watchmen and like there's a yes. comic book inside that yes. comic book the whole time that you just see like relevant oh that's a good from. example yeah, yeah that's true but but this is a good this is
2: a, this is the thing Watchmen says hey we're not going to give you the whole book as far as i recall the Tales from the black freighter doesn't give you the whole thing does it joe I don't think so. No, I think you only get
1: the good stuff, right. just the gory stuff.
0: No, you, you get the whole story though, whether or not there
2: is m- that's more true. to it is irrelevant. You do get, you do get a good sense of what happens in tales from the black fritter. I will say that. Um, I don't think you get every page of that comic book or like in that book in, in Watchmen, you also have like Hollis Mason's like memoirs of being night owl one or whatever. So I, this happens and that's a good example. Um, uh, the, uh Shakespeare's play Hamlet has a, a play within a play and it like it takes place on stage. But oftentimes these are short. That's the thing. Oftentimes these are like snippets or brief.
1: <laughs> Not in this case, huh? <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, this this is really interesting. This is like, like I was saying, a lot of the kind of negative reviews of this book were like the the book within a book went on too long. But I think, personally, I agree with Alicia that that the book was, it had to be that. Like, the book needed
1: to be, to, to be that. When you read this book, do you, like, when you're in the book inside the book, do you forget that you're in a book inside of a book? Yes. Like, is it, like, totally immersive? Like, yeah. Absolutely. Like, the Twilight Zone. Part yeah.
2: of the reason is, part of the reason is she, um, uh, Susan doesn't interrupt. Susan isn't like, and then I got up to go potty and I got myself some some chocolate and I sat back down with my tea. No, it's just like boom, the whole book. You just get dropped like 6 out of 7 parts of this book, boom, just right there. So so you don't you don't you kind of get wrapped up in it because it's a good story. And the story, the book within a book, it feel it really does feel like there's kind of two for the two I keep saying two for the price of one, but like really yeah,
0: it's basic yeah. economics is what you're saying. It is. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Hey, so what's the setting for I I know you I know you kind of said this, but what's the setting for this book? Yeah, so it's like a so the main book,
2: that's the main book. The first like the the the, the book within a book. Um <laughs> the primary story. The 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 story that the story that Susan sits down to read is um you're very like english country house village full of secrets yeah. landed gentry oh
1: classic
2: the there are I like secret it. nudists and there's a mutilated painting in a strange family mutilated nudist
1: secret paintings
2: isn't everybody
0: just a secret nudist <laughs> <laughs> i mean like if the shower is secret then yeah they only do it behind closed doors that i don't know if that's a nudist
2: no, no. Um, these well, are like people who like like do it in the, the woods, woods or and, and get
0: naked. Wow, um, ah, you both
2: said woods at the same time. That's a little weird. <laughs> so that's the that's the that's the the 1950s era setting of the novel that Susan reads. Um, it's kind of all over England. Um, it's more character driven. It's less like procedural. Here's our here's our Sherlock Holmes, and he's hunting for clues. More like kind of kind of not more novelistic. It's a reflection on. The mystery novel genre how we read mysteries um so the, the 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 kind of larger the frame type story is more modern and i i'd since we do kind of traditionally like to pander nick to your heritage please do <laughs> i will note that um in the in the book within a book the main character is half greek and half german and um guys and the, i'm like half greek and half german this is amazing oh my, that's great yeah, it's amazing that's he's great. Really make sure like to tell the uh, just Good maybe
0: job. just tell leader, uh, the leader uh the lit heads again about that
2: yeah so he's a really cool half greek <laughs> half german guy Handsome! Wow! Smart. Yeah. Amazing. Um, the other thing is that pretty cool that heads, huh? <laughs> um, there's a kind of a, a Greek love interest in this, in this, in the, in the larger frame story. Is there a sheep who is like not stereotypically <laughs> Greek, but he is really good at cooking, loves Greek food, makes funny comments about Greek heritage. He's always like,
1: "Opa!" Like, yeah, that. not like, quite, but I
2: bet he did it once. Yeah, like you could you could suspect him of kind of saying "Opa" sometimes. He's very romantic. Very He's well a secret Yeah. So, um that's the Greek that's the Greek connection. So, in
0: closing there is a half Greek character. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound good, Ian. Wow. Hey, what are we doing
1: next week? Carpool. <laughs>
2: Asked and answered.
1: Cool. I, well, one second. I am, guys. I do have to say, I am pretty excited for this next week because I feel like I never get to choose the cop out book. That's uh, but true. But this week, it's definitely not true. I'd pick every week. Hey,
2: Joe. I want to read a book about tennis. A big tennis match.
1: Is it okay, Ian, if that book about tennis, if that like book about a famous tennis match is written by one of the greatest living nonfiction writers? Is that okay? It's more than okay.
2: I insist upon it. I demand Oh my it.
1: God. Have I got the book for you? Uh, it's from 1969. It's a book called Levels of the Game by one of my favorite writers on the planet. Uh, not just living writers either, like one of my favorite writers of all time, a guy named John McPhee. And it is about the 1968 U.S. Open Championship between Clark Graebner and Arthur Ash. Uh, The New York Times said that this book is very well the high point of American sports journalism. Whoa. That that sports journalism has never been better than this and will never be better than this. All
2: downhill from here, folks. Joseph. Joseph Robinette
1: Biden, Jr.
0: uh, Joe, I believe you first told me about your book um, several years ago and that I should read it. Mm -hmm. And And have you. um, you. And
1: then you went out and read it. So we're done. Like we're finished. I can go eat dinner.
0: No. Um, good guess, though. Uh, no. Un- no, okay. I-, I thought we'd set up a podcast where the fiction was that you have to formally pitch it to me. Um,
2: so oh, this is your shot. Sure. <laughs> I'd like the formal pitch. <laughs> Hi. And Joe, Joe, do not throw away your shot. Since we're talking about our previous encounters with this book, I'll also note that way back, like, ah, uh, dozen years ago when I was still in, in undergrad, I was told by my creative writing instructors that I needed to, uh,
1: I needed to read this book. And, and I, oh, I did not. Oops. That's okay. Mm, boy, you, you both have made a big mistake by not reading this book, but you have made a, a fantastic, happy mistake by having a podcast with me every week. Oh. Um, also, just a side note, do you think there's a more pretentious phrase than when I was still in undergrad, Ooh, it's up there. That's for sure. <laughs> it's, it's up
0: there, Ian. Joseph, I'd like to hear about this book.
1: Absolutely, Nick. This is written by Stephen King. I've heard of We've him. talked about Stephen King uh, on the show before. Uh, Ian brought a Stephen King book. Uh, one of Stephen King's uh, evil one car books. Many I evil think car he's car written books. so many. He, like three, didn't he write like three this year? At least two. At least three. He, Stephen King does not trust cars. <laughs> he doesn't like cars. I think we might be up, about to find out why. <laughs> this is the origin story of that fear. Uh, okay. <laughs> Nick, I, don't, I mean, I don't know how to pitch this book. Uh, in 1997, something along there, Stephen King was kicking around an idea to write a book about how he writes, and I think this is this is a thing. Like other writers have books about how to write, and oh yeah, I think it's also like of. Mm, it's, I think it's of varying usefulness. Um, like, like Nick, if <laughs> yeah, you read course. a book about how somebody <laughs> did the job that you do, uh, I don't really know what you do, Nick. It's something with, well, I don't want to say, um, he's a, he's a tooth inspector, right? Right. Goes around, looks at all the hippos. Yeah. Checks out their teeth.
0: I, I work a lot with synergy. Um, oh, right. I, <laughs> and <laughs> other fake things, uh,
1: <laughs> and engagement. So, yeah. So like here, Stephen King's written a book about writing. Um, that is, I don't know, a little self-congratulatory. It's a little bit masturbatory, but it's also like really good. It, it's, um, it comes to you in three parts and I think this is what makes it so good. Part of this book is Stephen King being like, Hey, let me tell you from my point of view, what good writing looks like. And he talks about like the nuts and bolts of writing. He talks about adverbs and he talks yeah. about verbs and he talks about like sentence length and story structure and all of this stuff, right? Like, it's just like, this is the writing stuff. Cool. You got anything else? Yeah. The <laughs> better, I think the better part of this book is Stephen yeah. King talks about, it's, it's a memoir. It's him talking about the, events in his life that led him to become a writer. Like, it's essentially Stephen King's origin story. And I think the coolest part isn't, it's not just him being like, I always really liked reading books, so I became a writer. It's specifically how he became the type of writer that he is, which is a commercial, popular, like, at times, maybe even borderline pulpy writer. Uh, and it's super compelling and it's super interesting. And I haven't read many Stephen King books. I've read this book like five times. Uh, I haven't read many other Stephen King books, but this really makes me want to just do a deep dive on King. Yeah.
0: I mean, okay. So just to level set, this is one of the greatest writers of all time.
1: Certainly one of the best selling writers
2: of
0: all yeah, time. Yeah.
1: Certainly one of the most popular. No shade to
2: Mr. King, but you know, he's not perfect. No. Yeah.
0: Well, I think a lot of people would disagree with you. And like the most ever
1: would disagree with you.
0: And <laughs> no, I don't. The think largest he... group of purchasing people out there would disagree with
1: you. Well, okay. So this is actually something that Stephen King talks at length about. Um, when he writes his memoir, there's something super interesting in it he talks about like how he needs books, like how he just reads books all the time. Um, and yeah, they make me a better writer.
0: Does he address shitheads on podcasts talking (laughs) shit about him after selling 80 billion books? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> but one of the cool things about Stephen King's origin story is so much of his writing history is specifically a commercial writing history. So sure. for example, like he he tells a story about when he's a little kid and he's like he does a thing that a lot of little kids do, which is he sees a story and he like turns it into his own book and he shows it to his mom. Did did you guys do this? Is this a stage in everybody's young what? life? Definitely not. No. Ian, did you do this? I feel yeah. like you did
2: this. The, the 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 uh It's the larval the larval stage of the author. Yes,
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's before you go into
1: your pupa, right, right, <laughs> or your chrysalis. Oh. So he tells this story about writing. Books for his mom when he's a little kid. But one of the core memories that he has when writing the when telling this story is he said, "I remember I wrote four books. They were all about like this Mister Pig driving around in his car, uh, whatever. And I sold them to my mother. She said she would give me twenty five cents a piece for these books. So I wrote four books. I sold them to her for twenty five cents a piece. That was the first buck I ever made in this business. Which." Is a pretty great line, but also and then like. He paid his children to record it. <laughs> and then he paid his children to record it. But like. That story kind of goes on. Like when he was in middle school, he would go watch horror movies and then like write out the scenes in short stories and sell them at school. So like he would like lay them out on this typeset machine and he would like decide how much paper to use. And he had like cost benefit calculations. So he'd be like, oh, well, I have like $2 and 25 cents worth of materials. If I sell these at 50 cents a piece, you get it.
2: So he treated it like a like a commodity, like a good
1: yeah. Even early on, like writing was, it was a business for Steve King. Like it was absolutely right. a business. And, you know, Ian, you kind of, you know, like Stephen King gets disparaged and Nick, you're absolutely right. He's, he's like, I don't know if he's the most popular writer of all time, um, but boy, he's got to be commercially up there. And he talks about how guilty he felt for a long time about what he wrote. um, Because he was told frequently growing up that he was wasting his talent, right? Like he's mm-hmm. like, oh, Steve, you can do better than this. You shouldn't be writing this satirical newspaper in high school. You should be writing like real stuff. And he's mm-hmm. like, you know, that that messed with me for a really long time. Like I've spent, I spent a lot of years being ashamed about what I wrote. He said, I think I was 40 years old before I realized that every writer of fiction or poetry who's ever published a line has been accused by someone of wasting his God given talent. So he's like, he's like, do I write kind of poppy stuff? Yeah. But guess what? People really like to read it. (laughs)
0: Like They really like it. It seems very pragmatic. Right. He's like, well, I need to spend this much on paper to get, you know what I mean? Like, I think, I, I think most people like us would just assume that it's more emotional or romantic than that.
1: Well, and I think and like-, it's like,
0: no, I just started writing and I'm good at it. And
1: well, and his books also, you know, we talked, we joke about pretension. His books are kind of the opposite of pretentious. Like yep. he's, he's like, Hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tell you a dope story about a clown that lives in a sewer and you're going <laughs> to love it. Like it's cause it's a cool story.
2: What what I, what, I, what I've, what I've like seen his interviews, but I've read of his sort of process. Like he is, he is sort of deeply emotionally invested in, like, it's not just a, dry sort of crank him out, make the bucks laugh all the way to the bank, ignore Nick when he screams at me from his car type situation. Like he Mm -hmm. seems to be legitimately invested in writing. Like he, he, he has kind of this more mm, romantic view of it, but it's, it's, it's not, it's not just that. And it's my sense is it kind of, they work together. His delight in it never overwhelms his sort of pragmatism. I don't know.
1: And reading this book, one thing that becomes clear, he talks about it. I mean, he just harps on it like over and over and over again. He says like, look, the when you're writing, the only thing that matters, especially in that first draft, because he talks about drafting processes and things like that. He says the only thing that matters is the story. He says if the story doesn't work, if the story isn't compelling, if the story like is, is, is boring your reader, like you have nothing, right? The only thing that matters is the story. Then if you want to talk about, you know, like things like theme and symbolism and all that stuff. Sure. Think of that stuff in the second draft is what he says. So, I mean, it re- it is a uh, prag Romantic. Sure. Right. Like he he's absolutely devoted to like this art of storytelling, but also pragmatic. Like I want right. to write something that entertains the hell out of people.
0: Seems real right brain, doesn't it? I right always brain is those the two eight- up. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right
2: brain is where you believe in like. Ghosts. Blue Lives Matter and mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Strong Borders. And Left Brain is like climate change and...
1: Right? And dragons. Climate change and dragons.
0: So, okay. So you get this memoir, right? You get... what? What is the time frame? So it goes from his youth to him getting
1: uh run over by several vehicles yeah it it really does span his life as a writer like it talks about him being like a little kid writing these books and and the story does end with him getting struck by a van on his daily four-mile walk
2: is it a cliffhanger is it like well here i am it's me stephen king (laughs) writing as i walk along the side of the road (laughs) Wait, what's that? A car? In Uh, the distance.
0: And
1: then nothing. I'm putting down my pencil. (laughs) I I do want to talk about the van a little bit, because I think it's one of the things that makes this. Yeah. Well, not just the van, but the incident, I guess. Okay. Oh, okay. (laughs) It was a Dodge Caravan. (laughs) I thought maybe
0: that was somehow relevant or something. It was
1: yellow. Yeah. This book's interesting for a whole bunch of reasons. Like, it's interesting to hear Stephen King talk about his process it's interesting to hear him talk about his history. It's interesting. Uh, One of the things he does a lot in this book is he talks about specific books that he's written and he kind of gives you an inside view on what it was like to write that book. So he talks about like where ideas came from for, from a Buick eight, one of his car novels. Um, He talks about like how he almost never finished writing the stand because he got two thirds of the way through it and he he thought the story was broken. Like he didn't know where to go with the story. He said it was the book that took him the longest to finish, not just because it's a jillion pages, but because like the story was busted and it was one of the things that he came closest to abandoning and boy, he's glad he didn't. Uh, He talked about how like a handful of his books are obvious metaphors uh, for his drug and alcohol addiction, which he was a prolific user for a while. Um, like obvious metaphors and how he didn't realize it until like much later in his life. Um, he talked about how he doesn't remember writing the book Cujo, which is just crazy. <laughs> mm. Oh man. because well, that's like a whole project. It,
2: huh? Like that's, that's many, that's like months gone
1: months. And he's, I mean, he's got a great line. Like that's obviously insane that he just lost months and doesn't remember it, but he's got a great line where he says, you know, due to my drug and alcohol addiction, I don't remember much about writing the book Cujo. And looking back, I wish I did because I've read Cujo and that's a good book.
2: <laughs> Joe, I've got a question.
1: Yes. You you
2: suggest, you imply, you insinuate mm-hmm. that this is mm-hmm. a very pragmatic kind of, like he, he's telling you things about adverbs and conjunctions and parallel structure, but he's also saying, uh maybe not quite like a cautionary tale, but also like, hey, here was my not super great experience of getting addicted to drugs and then you know, getting hit by a car. How does he? How does he balance or how does he synthesize? Yeah, um, like practical writing advice with memoir. These don't seem like nope. these don't seem like. I mean, my book has, uh, it synthesizes murder mystery with murder mystery, which is a pretty seamless synthesis. But like, how does this work?
1: <laughs> yeah, it, so actually it's the most boring answer on the planet. It just comes to you in sections. Like the first section <laughs> is his memoir. And then his ah, second section is like- chapters. Yeah, well, like, and, and, and big, bold sections where he, the, the first section he calls his curriculum vitae, right? Like, this is the work that I've done. This is what, this is why- This is why you should listen to me. And this is my life as a writer. The second section, having established, like, that he's successful and knows a thing or two about writing. uh, The second section is him saying, like, okay, this is what I know about it. Um, Good, bad, and otherwise. And then the third section is, and then I got hit by a car. (laughs) (laughs) Three-act structure. Yeah. Yeah, classic.
0: Uh, Okay, I want to hear some writing stuff. So, yeah. we, I, I, okay. So, broad strokes, he is um, a very driven writer from an extremely young driven. age, uh, manipulating his entire family driven. into moving ahead <laughs> in this capitalistic world. Um, yep, and then ultimately ge- uh, propelling him into a, um, uh, uh, a career in which, uh, he doesn't really care about the, um, integrity of his books rather that they just sell. Well, no, uh, I, ultimately <laughs> I feel like I did not say most of this <laughs> and that, okay. So anyway, so, uh, you get some uh, the snapshots of maybe some of the major life events. So what, um, what are the inter, uh, intermittent,
1: um, writing tips? I'd like to at least get one today. One of the things he talks about that I, I really like, uh, Working with student writing so much is he talks about having the guts to cut, and he did mm. like he famously says, "Kill your darlings, kill your darlings, even when it breaks your egocentric little scribbler's heart, kill your darlings." And this is like writing advice that you hear from time to time. I love it so much. Yeah, yep. yeah, have the guts to cut, kill your darlings. And he, said, I know we joke
0: around here a lot about omitting needless words, Joe. Mm-hmm. It's it is one of my most cherished writing tips. <laughs> it is boy, I help
1: students with um with college. If you essays. can do that, you're successful A- in absolutely. my eyes. <laughs> I help students with college essays and it's really common that they come to me and they're like, "Mr. Holeshoe, I have an essay. It needs to be like 500 words and it is currently 800 words." There's nothing I can lose out of this. What do I do?
0: <laughs> Joe and is his old red marker he's l- like,
1: oh yeah it it is like my favorite <laughs> thing to do in the world it like literally, I don't modify anything. I just delete, I just delete, 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 mm. and it is like it is always better, like it is always better yeah. uh, which okay. doesn't surprise you he He talks about how he's a when he revises he's a natural adder like he always wants to add things mm, when he revises same. but an early editor that he had said said um hey look steve your second <laughs> draft cannot be longer than your first draft here's the formula first draft minus 20 percent equals second draft which is a brutal. pretty uh, yeah it's pretty brutal but boy i love the mathematics
0: though isn't it isn't it nice to just put like a number to it
1: yeah Absolutely. Because it's it's very
0: emotional to edit and write. And I I think I like that. Anyway, keep going.
1: Yeah. um, He talks a lot about um, like telling stories about what people actually do. And he says like bad writing is more than a matter of like just like shit syntax and faulty observation, like it usually arises from this stubborn refusal to tell stories about what people actually do. Face fact, let us say that murderers sometimes help old ladies cross the street, like presenting this nuanced view of the world. He also talks about like writing about people working, which is a really interesting observation. He's like, I don't know what it is. If you write about somebody's job and what they do, People love it. <laughs> like they, they just love hearing about like what the janitor's daily day looks like or what a cop's day looks like. Slice of life. And then I, I, I have a bunch more, but I'll just give you one more that he talks a lot about in the book. Uh, he always says the first draft of something should be written with the door closed. Hmm. Like when you write the first draft of something, that is for you, right? You have, a, you have a reader in mind, maybe, right? You're thinking about giving it to your dear wife after this. But when you write the first draft, that is for you. He said the second draft should be written with the door open. So essentially, write your first draft, get what you want on the page, and then solicit feedback, which is, I mean, what's, you can't argue with that.
2: Right? Yeah. Love it. I mean, you can, but you shouldn't. It's a bad idea.
1: It would be a real waste of time, I think, is what Ian is saying. (laughs) Okay. I I only have one more thing to say, and it's about getting hit by the car. Um, (laughs) Well, only because, like, this is such... One of the things that's really interesting about reading this book is it's a, it is an artifact from this absolute moment in Stephen King's life. Like he had um, about two thirds of this book written and then kind of like the stand, he had put it in a drawer. Like he had, he had gotten rid of it and put it in a drawer. Um, Wasn't really sure where to go with it. While he was kicking it round, he always has a few projects going at once. While he was kicking it round, he got hit by a car on his nighttime walk. And one thing I guess I didn't remember from this happening is he like really got hit by that car like he almost died it would it would have not been a far a far stretch for him to die in this whole thing and then he came back and when he came back he finished this book Uh, in fact this is the first thing that he started working on again in recovery after recovering for you know six weeks or whatever like his wife rigged up a desk in the corner of the living room and he started working on this book uh, as his strength built So so,
0: yep. So near death experience. He's like, I better write a memoir. (laughs) I probably get this on paper. It's like
2: um, it's like the reverse reverse um, Hemingway Pulitzer (laughs) or Nobel rather reverse Hemingway Nobel. (laughs) The Nobels were like, well, we got to give him a Nobel before he dies by headbutting his way out of a rhino or something. Real Mm sober. But this is the opposite of that because he was like, I got to give myself the best prize, which is a memoir
1: about a memoir before I die. Well, the weird thing is, is when he talks about it, I think the memoir stuff was already written. I I could be wrong about that, but I think the memoir stuff was written. He just had to like tie it together and talk about more writing stuff, Uh, whatever though. The most interesting part in this (laughs) is he talks like this isn't an event that happens in the background of this book. He talks at length about this he alludes to it throughout the book and then part three is kind of him saying like this is my recovery he talks about the guy who hit him he like he talks about the guy's driving record talks at length about like this recovery process and how writing really helped him in this recovery process like he talks um, he talks about this guy and one of the things that's interesting when you read it is when he's writing this he's really pissed about it still. Like, he is not okay with it. The tone is like, this guy hit me. He's a reckless driver. He was being a dumbass when he hit me. I'm paraphrasing, but I'm capturing the tone perfectly. Um, Like, like what a jagweed. <laughs> hey, Nick, I think Joe learned something about patting yourself on the back from Stephen King. <laughs> yeah. So, that, that's all I have to say. It's a, it's a cool book. And like, one of the things that's interesting about this book is that it emerges from this very, very specific time in Stephen King's life. Um, And you get to kind of be there with him as he processes it.
0: Yeah. Finish your thought there about how he was so upset with this and he, you know what, what, and what's his
1: like point. I think what he ultimately does, like he writes about this in the postscript. Um, This comes out very quickly after this happens, right? Like in publishing time, especially like, I bet this is published. It's published in 1999. He started writing in 1997 and he got hit by a car in between those two things, right? So this comes out within a year, I would say of him, of him getting hit by the car. Um, One of the things that he talks about with, with this anger, with this recovery is how important the writing process was to helping him recover, which I mean, is pretty in line with the rest of the book, you know, like through all these trials and tribulations in his life, like the writing is there. It's like the thing that he always falls back on. I have a question, Joe. Yeah. Does he ever
0: make this any about anything bigger than himself? Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, it's R- I mean, writing I don't is bigger get than English King. teachery, but like, yeah, he makes it about writing. Like, this really is a love letter to 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 writing, to the process, to you know how he thinks about it, and and I guess it is like how he thinks about it, but um, but yeah, it's about writing, and he does talk about it in a, I don't want to talk say like spiritual way, but Ian's word from earlier is a romantic way, yeah. right, and it's very clear that Stephen King you know, say what you will about him. Like he loves writing and he is just like (laughs) down. Like he's down with the craft. Down to write. He's down with the craft.
0: Is that, that is the subheader, right? Down writing, (laughs) colon down to write, DTR. This one hurts, but Ian, you do lose. I, I really am intrigued by your book, Ian, and
2: I am going to read it, but I think it's one of those that, that like one of the losers that you might, you might actually enjoy. Well, to be fair, they're all good books. Yeah, <laughs> some of them have been. <laughs> okay. Well, I would appreciate if you would be honest with me moving forward then. <laughs> My books, I always, I always bring amazing books. Are you sending me towards stakers? Sometimes Joe brings books like Joe brings Three Musketeers.
1: Uh, Three Musketeers is great. I, the canicle for Leibowitz.
2: <laughs> amazing book. Classic book. You shut your mouth. Listen, listen, uh, listen, please listen to me. If you won't listen to me <laughs> when I tell you to read this book, at least listen to me when I tell you that you really need to go over to our website, you don't know itpodcast.com, and drop us a book recommendation over there. I'm being introduced to so many great books that I just totally never would have read if it weren't for recommendations. So please keep our horizons expanding. You are our source for larger horizons. Um, you can also connect with us on social media things like Instagram and Facebook. And oh, Twitter. Wait, hold on, I got a TikTok update. Oh, it
0: is nothing short of it is nothing short of jarring. I, as as the litheads know, as you gentlemen know, I am new to TikTok. I am scrolling around just like everybody else, trying to find my way in this world. And I swear to God, last night I'm scrolling through, and what do I see? What do you see? Is a cow mm-hmm. on a farm. Okay, spraying pus. It okay. is.
2: Yeah, it is the. It is the Joe story. Oh yes. Now, Nick, you know how how TikTok's for you page works. It's an algorithm which is designed <laughs> to give you what it believes you want to see. So you must have put in some search terms that TikTok stored in China somewhere, search terms like cow and farm and pus mm-hmm. spray, to the yeah. point that it just gave you that because it thought you wanted it. This is on you. This is not, don't victim blame. I'm not okay? victim blaming. <laughs> this is not on me. Nobody wants this, except for weird people who grew up on farms. <laughs> yeah, Joe, read your dang quote. Stop talking about All cow right. pus. I'm di- I've I heard the words it. cow pus more in this podcast than I ever wanted.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Lit Heads, that's the audio gold you can expect. That is here. the you don't know um, that promise. Audio. <laughs> <laughs> um, Stephen King is talking about his recovery um, in, in- his recovery and how writing was important to it. He says for me, things have continued to get better. I've had two more operations on my leg since that first sweltering afternoon in the back hall. I've had a fairly serious bout of infection and I continue to take roughly a hundred pills a day, but the external fixator is now gone and I continue to write. On some days, that writing is a pretty grim slog. On others, more and more of them as my leg begins to heal and my mind reaccustoms itself to his old routine, I feel that buzz of happiness, that sense of having found the right words and put them in a line. It's like lifting off in an airplane. You're on the ground, on the ground, on the ground, and then you're up, riding on a magical cushion of air and prints of all you survey. That makes me happy, because it's what I was made to do. I still don't have much strength. I can do a little less than half of what I used to be able to in a day, but I've had enough to get me on the end of this book, and that I'm grateful. Writing did not save my life. Dr. David Brown's skill and my wife's loving care did that, but it has continued to do what it's always done. It makes my life a brighter and more pleasant place. Writing isn't about making money, getting famous, getting dates, getting laid, or making friends. In the end, it's all about enriching the lives of those who want to read your work and enriching your own life as well. It's about getting up, getting well, and getting over. Getting happy, okay? Getting happy. Some of this book, perhaps too much, has been about how I learned to do it. Much of it has been about how you can do it better. The rest of it, and perhaps the best of it, is a permission slip. You can. You should. And if you're brave enough to start, you will. Writing is magic as much as the water of life is any other creative art. The water is free. So, drink. Drink and be filled up. Wait, what's that honking behind me? Is it a car? Ah! (laughs)
0: Let me put this pencil down.